The positive is you don't have to go anywhere. The downfall is that you actually have to wait. It does not come to you immediately. And so if you're like me, I sat there, I clicked order, expected to get a confirmation email within the day. Nothing came. Couple days later, I finally get a confirmation email. So I start looking for the shipping pack or the shipping label and everything. I don't get that. Nothing has come. And finally, yesterday, I finally got it. But it worried me. If you're like me, maybe the thoughts start going through your mind. Did they overlook my order? Did they forget about it? Was it a ripoff? Did I just get bamboozled? Is it a scam? Did my money go somewhere, but I actually received nothing? Because I hate to wait. And the longer I had to wait, the more and more I started to wonder, did they forget about it? Do you ever feel that way with God? You ever feel that way when you ask God for something in your prayer life? You're like, God, you know, we really need help in this situation. God, I would really love to be delivered from this temptation. I would love to be out of this, uh, whatever it is, depression or addiction or difficult relationship or, or whatever it is that you are praying to God. God, please help me here. And then you find yourself still in that situation. And, and God seems to be telling you to wait, or maybe the thought starts going through your head, well, maybe God's forgotten about me. Well, maybe God's not really answering my question. Maybe God's not really involved in what I need him to be involved in. Because here's the thing, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus ascended into heaven. And then we started what we call the end times, where we wait for Jesus to return. And Jesus said, I'm going to return. Read the last chapter of Revelation. And Jesus says, behold, I am coming. And not only does he say he's coming, he says, I'm coming soon. And it's like 2,000 years have passed and he has not returned. And we see that all these things in the world are starting to go crazy I mean, there's like just disaster after disaster happening. There's just natural, there's human created, there's just so many things going on. And it's like, God, what's going on here? Where are you at in the middle of all of this? And people, his church is praying for a revival. His church is praying for God's power to be seen, for God to speak and let the nations know who he is. And yet it seems like God is silent. It can seem that way at least. And so we're going to take a break. We've been going through Hebrews, and we're going to take a quick break for the month of December, do a Christmas series on when it seems that God is silent, about what, what we do when God is silent. And today we're going to look at three simple things, how we wait in the silence, how we prepare in the silence, and finally, the work that is being done in the silence. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18 as we look at these things, because here's the thing. God's not silent, but God is at work, as we're going to see. God is preparing. God is calling for us to wait on his timing, but God is also working. So if you'll stand, we're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through verse 25. And then we'll open in a word of prayer. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. If you'll join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for who you are. God, we're so grateful that we can come together and, God, remind each other through song how good you are. And God, I pray that just as we get ready to now hear your word proclaimed, and God, may it be your word that is proclaimed. I pray that we open our hearts to it. And that whatever message you have for your people this morning, it be delivered clearly. So that we can respond to it and how you're calling us to respond. God, we love you so much. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so we see right there in that passage, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1, where it said, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. You see, from the last words of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, where God's talking about returning the Father's heart to the children and the children's heart back to the Father, all the way to Matthew chapter 1, the events that take place there, over 400 years have elapsed. And we call those the quiet years, the silent years, the intertestamental years. But it's a time where God had no new revelation, had no real prophetic speaking for his people. There was really nothing new going on that God was proclaiming to his people. For 400 years, it seemed as if God was silent. And so for 400 years, the people had been told of these prophecies that were going to happen. That there's going to be a Messiah that is going to come and deliver you from all your oppression. That he's going to come and take away the sins of the world. That he is going to come and remove you from the slavery that you are in. For 400 years, they sat there and they waited generation after generation. And it was not happening. For 400 years, they had hope built on this. Between 300 and 500 prophecies of the coming of Jesus are in the Old Testament. Depends on what scholar you look at and how specific they look at the prophecy. But you have 300 to 500 prophecies talking about the coming of Jesus. And for 400 years, actually, since the, the fall of man, we've seen prophecy about Jesus. We've seen them talk about how the serpent is going to bite at the woman, but her seed's heel is going to crush the serpent's head. Right there talking about Jesus coming into the world. And that was like 4,000 years before the coming of Jesus. And then you have 400 years of silence. So for, we'll just say, a really long time, they've been waiting but for 400 years, specifically, waiting in what is considered silence. Just think of that. 
Just think of, hey, this is going to happen. Jesus is going to come. And for 400 years, you're holding on to that hope. You're waiting for that hope to come. And then it doesn't arrive. For 2,000 years, we've been holding on to Jesus is going to return. He's going to come and take his people home. And then not only are we going to be justified and made right with God, not only are we going to be sanctified and be overcoming the power of sin, we're going to be totally glorified where sin's not even around. Where we are in the very presence of God, unhindered, unadulterated, we have been holding fast to that. But for 2,000 years... It hasn't come. I mean, Thessalonians, they were afraid that they missed out on the coming of Jesus. Two times Paul writes to them to reassure them, you haven't missed out. Jesus is going to come. He's going to take you back home. And it's like you get on this roller coaster of emotions, especially if you follow the news where you see rumors of war, as you read Matthew 24 and you line it up with things that are going on in the world today, and it's like, hey, maybe, maybe I won't have to endure tonight. Maybe Jesus will return. And then you wake up the next day. And it's like, God, what's going on? Did you forget about us? Is your Messiah going to come and deliver me from my sins? Are you going to come and take me away from this world? As Paul says in Romans chapter 7, who's going to deliver me from this body of death and decay? Who's going to deliver me? What, What a wretched man that I am. Well, Jesus is, but he hasn't come yet. I mean, maybe you don't have to think about it in that sense. Maybe your prayer has been, God, deliver me from this temptation. God, I I want to no longer be controlled by the desires of my body. I don't want to be just given over to the thoughts of my mind. God, I want to be delivered, and I beg you, day after day, deliver me from this. And yet, every day I wake up, and I'm reminded of that. God, did you forget about me? Are my prayers just going up to an empty sky? Are you really out there? Do you really care about what I have to say? Do you actually hear me? Because maybe I believe there's a God, but man, 7 billion people in this world, a lot of them worse off than I even am. Maybe you're preoccupied and you're, you're, you're on the other side of the world taking care of something over there. Maybe that's what you've been begging God for and it seems like God is silent. Maybe we try and reassure ourselves with John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus says, I tell you these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so maybe you read that, and it's like, man, there's so much hope in that. God, Jesus has overcome the world. But then you read that, and you look at the things you're going through, and it's like, but how? How? Maybe, maybe that should be read in a future sense. Like right now, you're losing the battle, Jesus. But in the future sense, maybe someday, when you finally feel like remembering us, you'll come back, and you will overcome the world. Sometimes it seems like God is silent, but what I want to tell you today is that God is working in the silence. And here's the thing, God's not even silent. God has given us his word. God has given us his people. God has given us his Holy Spirit. 
to speak to each one of us every single day to remind each one of us. But sometimes it seems like God's silent. And when it does, God is still at work. Just because you don't feel God's working or feel God's voice or presence does, mean, does not mean that God is not working. Even during that 400 years of what they say, the silent years, even during that part of history, God was at work in just incredible ways. I mean, look at these things. This, this is what was going on during those silent years. Alexander the Great started his conquering and it was not just a political empire that he brought, but he brought Greek culture, Greek language, and Greek economies. This provided a common language in which the New Testament is translated in. This created a common language in which they were able to take the Hebrew Old Testament and translate it into the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint. If you ever hear that word, it's the Old Testament translated into Greek. And that is where so many people were able to hear of who God is. God was doing that during the silent years. During this time, the Roman rule created a common government that allowed for the universal spread of the gospel. Because they were able to freely travel around. Because also during this time, roads were developed. And so God is paving the way. For the gospel to be spread, for the good news of who Jesus is, to go forth. Because look at how it happened. During Jesus' walk on this earth, it really hovered around Israel. You know, he'd go over to the Decapolis, he'd cross the sea a couple times, but it really stayed within that little region. And then after his death and resurrection, Paul goes on three missionary journeys. We're told that uh, Thomas, the doubter, went all the way to, like, Spain. Like, the gospel of Jesus just boomed after his resurrection, and that is because preparation was being made during those silent years. God was preparing the way for the greatest gift to enter into this world. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, it says, this is the Christmas passage a lot of people read, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, government and, of the, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we see that everything during those 400 years of silence, God was preparing the way. He was working and making way for the greatest gift ever to be given, his son, for the redemption of mankind, so that we could have relationship with God the Father. And I believe wholeheartedly the same thing is happening today, that in your life, when you're praying out to God and it seems like, God, where are you? What is going on? God is preparing you. 
God is working in you. God is doing something that you may not see, but it does not mean that he is laissez-faire, hands-off approach, and doing nothing. Instead, he is working in your life. He is preparing you to become who it is that he is calling you to be. You see, so often we want God to work in loud, amazing, miraculous ways. I mean, I went to Haiti in 2017 for two months, and while I was down there, I expected a revival to happen. It was like, all right, God, let's go, go into this nation. They need Jesus. Let's see the gospel just spread like crazy. Let's see lives be changed. Let's see so many, I mean, day after day, let me put my hand on somebody, and they are healed. I was looking for the loud. I was looking for the, the just amazing, wondrous miracles. But instead, I got silence. Instead, I got a lesson in waiting on God. I got patience. I was told that it's in his timing, not mine. And that God doesn't always, we always want to look for like the big and the loud and the amazing. Where so often God works in the minor, the small. I mean, look at how Jesus entered into the world. He chose Bethlehem. We sing a song about it, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It's not huge and grand, but it's small in a stable where there's no place for a bed away in a manger. Going to start quoting Christmas hymns apparently as well. Elijah, he knew what this was like. He knew what it was like to be questioning God, are you even there? First Kings chapter 19. Elijah says, God, I have been very zealous, jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I mean, Elijah's like, God, have you forgotten about me? I was jealous for you. I pursued after you. I did all this stuff and I am on the run right now. My life is being sought after. Where are you in that? And then God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there the voice of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? When I read that, I expect God to be in the fire. I expect God to be in the big earthquake that's making the rocks crumble. I expect him to be in the wind. But instead, when he hears the whisper, the quiet, that's when he goes out and has a conversation with God. Because God does not always work in the big. He works in the small, in the minor, and he's working in your life. He's preparing you, even if you don't feel it. Don't lose hope in that. And that's what we do. When it seems like God is silent, when we're waiting in that moment, and we say the same prayer day after day, week after week, and it seems like no answer is coming, we remind ourselves of who God is, of who it truly is that our hope and our faith is in. 
not based on our feelings. We don't, we don't say, well, God, today I don't feel you, so you must not be here. Because as one author, artist, one author says, feelings are real, but they're not reliable. And so we don't live based on our feelings, but we live on fact. We live on truth that comes from God's word. And God's truth is he's working. He is at work in you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in you. And when Jesus returns, he's going to be completed with his work in you. But he is still working in you. So you remind yourselves of those truths. God, where are you? Are you even here? Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He is with you always. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God. He has nothing to do with me. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those are truths you need to remind yourself of. So that when these feelings come up, you remind yourself of facts, of truths, that God's at work in you, that he's not giving up on you, and that if you wait on him, he will renew your strength. He works in you. We stand firm in these promises. You see, a boat, whenever you put a boat in water, it pretty much seems to move freely. It'll, as the wind comes, it's going to, I mean, anybody ever go to the lake, you dive in the water, you're swimming around, and then you look up and you realize your boat is drifting away. It's going to leave you. Same with your feelings, your lives. You're like a boat. You're going to drift and sway as tides and turns of the world come. I mean, just look at your emotions. Like, hey, today was a great day, and then somebody says one word, and it's like, oh my goodness, worst day ever. I mean, we are a constant roller coaster. But there's one thing that keeps a boat from moving, and that's if you anchor it to something solid. If you can tie that boat to something that is immovable, it doesn't matter how strong a wind is going to come, that boat's going to stay firm. And it's just the same with your life. What are you anchoring your life to? Is it the economy? Because, oh my goodness, that's going to blow and turn and flip upside down. Is it your career, your family, your relationships, your money? Whatever it is, if it is not the solid rock of Jesus Christ, you are going to be found so swaying with the wind. 
I mean, Jesus tells the parable of the wise man who built his house on the sand. And when that storm came, the floods rose, the waters came, and that house collapsed because it wasn't anchored in something solid. But when the wise man built his house on the rock, the rock that is Jesus, as we sang, Christ alone, our cornerstone. He is what we are going to build our foundation on. He is who we are going to anchor in so that whatever comes our way, we stand firm because of who Jesus is. Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus gave his life. He rose from the dead. He went behind the curtain so that we now can go and be in direct relationship with God. And that is a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. So that no matter what comes our way, we can say it is well with my soul. The story behind that song is that this gentleman, the author, sent his family overseas in a boat. And as they were going, their boat wrecked and they sank. And there, him, it was his wife and his three children. And all three of his children died. His wife got back. And she gets overseas, and she sends a telegram, and it pretty much says, boat wrecked, all children are gone. I'm all that's left. And so as he is going to be with his wife, he gets in a boat, and he is going on that same pathway. And as he is passing the very spot where his family drowned, he wrote that song. It is well with my soul. The only way you can say something like that is if you are anchored in who Jesus is, in the truths of God. That's the only way I believe you can face those circumstances and have that kind of outlook because of who Jesus is, that we anchor ourselves in him. So when God is silent, we anchor ourselves in his truth. We set ourselves solid on what his word says. Because for 400 years, it seemed like God was silent. But for 400 years, God was working. For 2,000 years, it seems like God's not going to send Jesus back. But for 2,000 years, God's been working through his body, through his church, to prepare the way for his return. And you see, at the end is something so perfect, so beautiful, only God can orchestrate it. Because after 400 years... The perfect gift was given. After however many more years we have to wait, maybe it's minutes, seconds, maybe it's decades, Jesus is going to return. And he's going to call his people home, and it is going to be perfect. And it is going to be beautiful. And so we wait for his return patiently, but anchoring ourselves in him. Because here's the thing. When Jesus came, when he was born as a baby, after that 400 years of silence, he was rejected. His very people rejected him. John tells us that, that he came to his own, but his own did not know him. Instead, they rejected him, and he was despised. Isaiah tells us that as well. 
Jesus is going to return. Are you rejecting him? Are you living in patient, eager anticipation for his return? Or when he comes back, are you just going to reject him? Are you going to be like, I didn't live a life for you. I didn't surrender anything over to you, God. I lived it for myself. I made myself king of kings and lord of lords, not you. Because he is going to return. Are you actually ready for it? Are we prepared for it? And then if we are, are we preparing the way for it? Because sadly, maybe a majority of this room can say, yes, we are ready. A majority of everybody outside of this room is not ready. And we have been entrusted. That's the work God's doing right now. Through us to share his love, his grace, and his truth with a hurting and broken world. Because if we take John chapter 14 seriously, we'll take Matthew chapter 28 seriously. John chapter 14 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the work's been completed. When Jesus gave the perfect sacrifice on the cross, the work was completed. And because of that work, we can now be where he is. Hebrews 10 says, When Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, so that now we can be with God. So remind yourselves, whatever it is that you are going through, God is with you. God is for you. And he has not forgotten you. But he loves you. Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor per things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father God, we thank you, God, that you're not done with us. God, that you are doing a work in your people. And God, I pray for anybody in this room 
who has just been begging and pleading with you for whatever reason it is, and they feel like you are distant, God, may they remind themselves of your truths. May they remind themselves of what we just read in Romans chapter 8, that if you are for us, who can be against us? And that you love us so much that you sent your only son. God, I just pray that you work in the hearts of your people. God, just renew our hearts to be on fire for you and that we take that fire and it just spread as you're preparing the way for the return of your son. God, may we be ready for it. If there be anybody in this room who is not ready, God, work in their hearts. Give them just the, the courage and, and just the heart to receive you as their Savior and to surrender their lives over to you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And if you'll stand with me this morning, our hymn of invitation is number